Go ahead and pull out your Bibles this morning. Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 13. If you're new with us, you haven't been with us, we are finishing up right now a kind of a four-week, four-part sermon. So uh, if you feel like you're kind of jumping into the middle of something or the end of something, that's because you are. But uh, the rest of them are online. You're more than welcome to catch up another time. We've been talking about a story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13. He would use these things called parables to explain to us the kingdom of God. So he would take a, a parable, basically a metaphor. He would use something in our lives that we would understand, something natural, something tactile that we understand, and he would use it as a metaphor to explain something that's a little not, not as easy to understand, like his kingdom, the, the will of God, all of these sorts of things that we talk about. He's been telling a parable. He tells a parable of a sower, a guy who's planting seed. He says this guy goes out, he throws seed, and it lands on four different soils. The first soil it lands on is a path. It's hard. The soil doesn't receive the seed. The birds come and they eat it up. And uh, we talked a few weeks ago about how maybe in all of us, there's paths in our life where God is trying to plant his kingdom into our life, but our heart is too hard to receive it. And sometimes we say, man, God, I, I really want to grow, but uh, I, need, I, need, I wish you were better. If you were better, I would do more. We, we look at the sower and say, where's a good sower? If there's a good sower, I would grow in my life. But the parable tells us this sower is very generous. He throws his seed everywhere, all over the place. So the sower is good, and, he, and then Jesus says that the seed that the sower is throwing, what God's planting in your life, he says it's the word of the kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. And sometimes we're not growing in our lives, and we say, well, if God would just put something better into my life, if he would give me something more to work with, maybe I'd grow a little bit more. I know you've never said that, but I think I have before. If God would just give me something better, but this word of the kingdom is good seed. The seed isn't spoiled. The sower is good, the seed is good, and sometimes the soil isn't so good. And sometimes our hearts are hard. We've been uh, walked on in life. Pain has beat us down and we're just too hard to receive. Or, or maybe we're just getting numbed by our normal. We just walk on the same place every day and what used to be soft and ready to receive now can't receive the seed. That's the first soil as a path. The second soil we talked about last week is rocky soil where Jesus says the seed goes into the ground and it begins to grow, but there's a bunch of rocks underneath the soil that are making the dirt look really good, but it's not deep. And so the roots can't grow deep. And because the roots cannot grow deep, the sun comes out just like it does every day. Life gets hot. And what God is growing in you gets scorched. Not because the sun's too hot, not because God's not good, but because there's something in our hearts that won't let the roots go deep enough to hold what it is that he's trying to grow. That was last week. This week, we're picking up uh, the, the third soil. And uh, we're not gonna do another one on the fourth soil, the good soil, because, you know, we've kind of been talking about that every week, so it works. In the good soil, it says that uh, the seed goes in and, and each seed produces a harvest that's 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown into it. And God's saying the little bit of the kingdom that God's trying to put in you is gonna produce a whole lot of fruit. Amen? And we said the reason that we want a big harvest is not because we need a lot to eat, but because uh, when God produces a 30, 60, 100-fold harvest in you, that's 100 times more than you need because maybe there's 99 other people in your life who can't get a, a harvest for themselves. And what God's growing in you, someone else is gonna eat your extra. If you didn't write that down in any of the past three weeks, I want you to write that down because that's kind of a big point. Yeah. Somebody else is gonna eat your extra. 
Has it been good for you the last few weeks? It's been good for me. God's been, God's been uh, doing a lot in my own heart. We're gonna talk about the third soil in our, in our final week together on this. Matthew 13, we're gonna read verse seven, just one verse in verse seven, and then skip over to verse 21. In verse seven, uh, again, is the, the metaphor part of the story. And in verse 21, Jesus explains the spiritual reality that he's explaining to us in the metaphor in verse seven. So Matthew 13, verse seven says this, other seeds fell among the thorns. Everybody say thorns. And the thorns grew up, say they grew, they grew up and they choked them, them being the sprout uh, from the seed. So other seeds fell among the thorns and thorns grew up and choked them. Verse 21, Jesus explains, oops, verse 22, verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Jesus says that sometimes the seed of the kingdom lands in good soil and it starts to grow, but then there's other stuff growing in the soil too. There's these thorns, there's these worries of life, these deceitfulness of riches, and those things just overpower and over uh, or choke out what God's trying to grow in you this morning. I want to share with you this morning, if you have notes, the title for this morning is, That's Cool, But You Missed the Point. That's cool, but you missed the point. I don't know if you've ever done something great, but you kind of missed the point. Like if you've ever, if, you ever uh, if you're a man who's ever been married and you've washed the dishes, but you did it with a bad attitude. Is that just me? I get frustrated and I wash the dishes. I'm like, see, I'm a good servant husband. My wife's like, that's cool, but you missed the point. That's cool you washed the dishes, but your attitude was terrible. You missed the point. You ever missed the point in life? Sometimes, sometimes it's, easy. it's easy to miss the point. And uh, when, when we start talking about this thorny soil, I think Jesus uh, is, is, has a message for us that sometimes there's growth in our life, and that's cool, but sometimes we miss the point. Sometimes what's growing in our life uh, looks good, or, or we think it's great that something's growing, but it's not the right thing. That's cool, but you missed the point, right? Sometimes life can grow, and uh, the, what's interesting about this soil is that uh, it's the first soil that starts to see uh, growth, but some, not all the growth is good. Not all the growth is good, and I don't know about you, but sometimes there's stuff growing in my life, and that's exciting, and that's cool, but I miss the point. It's not what God's trying to grow in my life. It's what I'm growing in my life. Something that Jesus says about these thorns is he says that uh, they grow up. And just like um, you and me in our lives, we grow up. And I don't know if you've ever grown up before, but it seems like the more you grow up, the more life you have to worry about. That grows. The worries of life, they seem to grow with life. The deceitfulness of riches, that lie that if you just went and got a little something else, it might take the edge off a little bit. That seems to grow up too. Like we just get, it's like if I just got that new shiny thing, that new pair of shoes, that, that bigger truck, that's not me, but <laughs> life gets hard, right? Because life gets hard and sometimes we believe this lie that if I just could go get a little something extra and take that edge off and I'll be all right. Just that deceitfulness of riches, that something else is just, it'll help me, it'll kind of help satisfy me. Uh, uh, we believe that lie. We just get a lot to worry about as we grow up and we believe this lie that, uh, the more stress comes, the more we just need a vacation, and that'll fix everything, you know. The more we just need uh, to, to swipe the credit card one more time, and, and that'll just take care of everything. You just need another day off, maybe a, a new relationship, or we need uh, just something else that, that, that costs a little bit of money, makes us feel real good in the, in the moment. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's the deceitfulness. It's not the riches that are going to choke out your life. It's the deceitfulness of them that's going to choke them out. 
And Jesus says that uh, sometimes in your life, uh, you grow up and that looks good. Like we grow up and we get more responsibility in life or we start flashing the number one status symbol in our life. I'm busy. I'm busy because it makes us feel good. It means I'm important. It means I got a lot on my plate. There's a lot of people looking to me. There's a lot of things depending on me. I got a lot to worry about. So I don't really have time for this whole God thing. He's, I got a lot on my mind. I got a lot to do today. I can't really wake up and spend time with Jesus. Man, I mean, I would love to get up and read the Bible, but I'm, I'm really busy. I don't, maybe he understands, right? I really want to pray, but I just got so much on my mind. I just got a lot to, a lot to worry about. I just can't stay focused. Uh, um, but, I'm, but I'm glad you pray. That's good. We grow up and the worries of life choke out what God's trying to grow in us. And all of a sudden we look up a few years later, a few months later, and some things that started off looking so promising, we realize there's nothing there. And we realize, we wonder, where, God, did you go? What about that promise you made me? Did you feed it? Did it have any air to breathe in your life? And so the deceitfulness of riches choke it out too. God says he's going to be good enough. God says he's going to be strong enough. God says he's going to satisfy me, but it sure would be easier to just do something a little, uh, little simpler than wait on a God I can't see and just take the edge off a little bit. Run to something that I can see. Run to that relationship. Run to that thing that's going to take the edge off, that lie that the riches are going to take care of me. Anybody ever been there before? Can we just say that life's thorny? Can we just agree on that? Let's, like, let's not pretend it'd be the church thing, perfect deal, where it's like, yeah, I never have had any thorns in my life. Like, we got thorns. Thorns, life is thorny. Life is thorny. And it's tricky because if you've ever seen a garden that's got a lot of weeds in it from a long way away, it looks green and it looks good. But when you get up close, there's growth, but you've missed the point. And if we're not careful, Jesus is telling us, Yes, you need to manage your soil, but you also need to check on what's growing in your life because uh, there's two things trying to grow in your life, the kingdom of God and life, just the stuff of life. There's these two things growing. They are, they are competitive and incompatible. We want to do a little bit of both, but one needs to choke out the other, and we need to make sure we know which one's winning. Some of you are at church here for the first time, you're like, this guy's intense. It gets better, I promise. There's a principle here in this story that Jesus is giving us that uh, God has a life for us that uh, isn't caught up in the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches. And so, the what 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 would normally think I be what we would normally do, I think, at this point in this series is talk about that principle and talk about how do we live a life that doesn't get so caught up in the worries of life, and what do I do to not get so caught up in the deceitfulness of riches? Because the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches they're choking out the life that God has for me, and I want to live free from that stuff. And Jesus says He's going to give me peace, but I got a lot to worry about. So how do I walk in the peace? of God because I want to feel peaceful, and that's awesome. And Jesus says he's going to satisfy the desires of my heart, but I'm running to a lot of other things, and those things feel good for a second, but then they let me down, and so how do I live a fulfilled life? And I think we could talk about that principle, but I think, honestly, if we just went there and we made this whole parable about our lives and about the soil, and it's just all about the soil, I think Jesus would kind of give, would, would kind of look at, at even me as the pastor, look at us and say, yeah, we got a lot out of this, and he'd say, that's cool, but you missed the point. That's cool, but you missed the point. Because the point of this parable is not the soil. The point of the parable is the seed. The point of the parable is the kingdom. The point of our lives is the kingdom of God. Not just being better, being nicer than most people, or 
being a better person, all of those sorts of things. Jesus is talking about a, a, a principle, but I don't think we need to stop at the principle because in John 8, Jesus said something to says the people following him. He said, um, if, you, if you're gonna hold to my teachings, you'll really be my disciples. And he didn't say, and you're gonna know all the principles of how to live a good life, and those principles are gonna set you free. He says, you're gonna know the truth, and the truth is gonna set you free. This is how you're going to know you're really a disciple of mine is if you let me put the truth into your life and you let that truth set you free. And Jesus, when he sows the seed into your life, he's not sowing principles merely. He's not merely sowing principles on how to have a better marriage. He's planting a kingdom inside of you that's going to be made manifest by your healthy marriage so that people can see your healthy marriage and say, oh, that's possible? How did you do that? Well, God put his kingdom into my life. And it wasn't just so that I'd be less stressed out at home. It's because marriage, he says, is actually this metaphor of Christ and the church. And the way that I am with my wife that you see that you think that's really great, Jesus actually loves you as his church even more. That's a harvest, right? It's way better than just good, a good life. We got to have a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. You see what I'm saying? It's not just, let's not come to church and look for principles. We got enough gurus and self-help books for that. I want the truth. Because I don't know about you, but like we said, life is thorny. And our world, and maybe even you, are caught up in some thorns. And you don't need a better life. You need to get set free. And so that's who I'm preaching to this morning. If you're here for principles, you're not going to like this. If you're here to get set free, you're going to meet Jesus. Woo! I love Jesus, man. He's so good. He's so good. So let's not get caught up in the principles. Let's talk about the truth. So what's the truth here? The truth is, again, the point of the story isn't the soil. The story is the seed. So what's the kingdom? Jesus says the word, the seed, is the word of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's a great church word. We can get all excited about that. But what on earth are we even talking about? The kingdom of God you know, we can come to church and we talk about the gospel, right? We talk about the good news. And what that means is that Jesus loved you so much that he died on a cross that you deserved to set you free from your sins. Praise God. And that's cool, but that's not the whole point. That's not the whole point. It's true, and we need it. God knows we need it. But there's more to the story. There's more to the story in the kingdom. And here's what I want to point you. We're going to look at about 4,000 verses on the TV today. So just write them down and go back to them later, right? <laughs> Not 4,000. Hey, can we have fun? Are we still okay? Yeah. Nobody mad at me yet? Okay, we're good. Ephesians 2 says this, one, verses 1 through 9. Uh, it says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins that you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Say, we all once lived. See, this is the gospel. We all once lived dead in our trespasses and disobedience to God. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Not and raised uh, and, did that go backwards? No. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not by your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is the gospel that we like talking about. We were all dead in our trespasses, far from God, but God, because of his great love with which he loved us, paid for the debt that we owed to our sins so that we could be seated with him. And that's cool, but it's not the whole point because verse 10 comes next. He says, for we are his workmanship. Now that you're saved, you're a workmanship. Now that you're saved, you're a new creation, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, the kingdom of God just starts when you get saved. We like to say around here, salvation is an invitation, not a destination. And too many times we can get caught up and say, praise God, the kingdom, kingdom's coming to my life, which is true. Like I'm saved, but we don't realize that God didn't save us so that we could just make it to heaven and get to heaven one day. He didn't say, I'm going to forgive your sins so that you can just gut through the rest of life and get into heaven someday. He said, I'm going to save you from your sins. I'm going to make you new such I can get heaven into you today. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, oh God, help me get to heaven someday where things will be much better. His disciples said, Jesus, you pray and it works. Stuff happens and it's crazy. Teach us to pray like that. He said, okay, here we go. It's super simple. Pray like this. God, let your kingdom come. Don't let me come there. You come here. Let your will be done here now on earth as it is in heaven. Salvation is an invitation into the kingdom of God. And what God's showing into you, he aims to grow in you now. Not just, it's not just a destination to get to someday. Salvation isn't just a destination, it's an invitation. And what this has to do with this parable, in case you're wondering, because you might be. I don't believe that Jesus is telling us this parable uh, and, and specifically telling us about these thorns so that we can have a better life and just... Be good. Jesus isn't saying, yeah, you know, just get rid of these thorns and maybe if you get rid of the thorns, your life will be a little better and you'll get to heaven and then finally that'll be over. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think Jesus is saying that if, if we respond to what he's sharing, to, sharing with us in his word, yes, we will have a better life. We will walk more closely with Jesus and that's cool, but it's not the point. And here's where this is gonna get really awkward if it's not already is he's talking about eternity. He's talking about eternity. What Jesus is after right now is your eternity. Not just a better marriage now, but what is a better marriage impact for your eternity? Let's get really awkward. We're all gonna die. That's how it's gonna happen. And the Bible talks a whole lot about what happens after we die. And I just think that sometimes we get so caught up and hopefully we arrive to heaven then instead of living a life that brings heaven now. Because the kingdom of God is this, not that Jesus just died to get you into heaven, like I said, to get heaven into you, and now you are invited. See, I'm going to be honest. When, when we, you know, I'm a pastor, right? We plant this church. I talk to a lot of people about Jesus. Most people don't really care about Jesus because they see a better option or another option for a decent life. And like I said, we've got so many blogs that we can read about that. Everybody's got an opinion on how to do that. And that's great. The reason that people aren't hungry for Jesus is because no, we don't care about eternity. We don't care that it's not just an option for a better life now. Jesus aims to plant a kingdom in you now that you will reap a harvest from for all of eternity. 
This is the gift of God. His grace is not just that he took your sin away, it's that he gave you a new life. And this life that you have to live between you got saved and you die, now you have a chance to have that echo in eternity with harvest. How amazing is that? You are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's what he's saying. Not only was life bad, but eternity was going to be bad. Now, I didn't just save you to get you back to ground zero. I saved you to give you a new life. And in this new life, you're not going to live. I'm going to live in you. And you're going to do good works that I actually created for you in advance before you even got saved so that you can do these good works so that I can reward you for it forever. That's good news. That's good news. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about your eternity because God's will for your life is not, does not culminate in you having a good life. It culminates in you producing a great harvest. This is the will of God for your life. He's inviting you into a great harvest. John 15, 16, Jesus is talking about how to live a fruitful life. And he says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Not that you should pray a prayer and hope to make it to heaven someday. He says, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I've appointed you for a fruitful life. And I'm preaching this morning to inspire somebody into a fruitful life. That maybe this news is better than we think it is. Maybe it's better than, yeah, you should go to church on Sunday. What if God's appointed you for a fruitful life? And Jesus is making it clear in this parable that worries and distractions, the worries and distractions of this temporal life are going to choke out the harvest of your eternal life. This is why the thorns matter. This is why this is more than a principle. This is why this is a truth that will set you free. Because we don't need to get rid of thorns because it'll make me feel better but it's producing a harvest for all of eternity. And that sets me free. That sets us free. See, this brief momentary breath of life is gonna end. The Bible says like a flower of the field, the wind just blows and it gets knocked over and the place doesn't even remember it anymore. It's this short, tiny little life, but the absolutely absurd grace of God in the gospel is that this gift of a new life that Jesus has given you is an opportunity to make this short, small breath of life matter for eternity. You've got a chance to make it count, not just make it. I want you to write that down. You've got a chance to make it count, not just make it. We're going to get into some more fun stuff that nobody likes to talk about. But it's good news. <laughs> oh. If we're going to talk about eternity, let's talk about it. The Bible is clear that when we die, we're going to stand before Jesus, before what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And there's kind of two ways that you can take judgment, and there's, there's different judgments. And, and number one, the first way that judgment can be taken is like probably the way that you think about it first, like a criminal court type of judgment. And when you die, you will stand before Jesus, and if you have not repented of a rebellious life against him, you will reap the wages of that sin, of that rebellion. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And just like we chose to reject him for our lives, he will allow you, us to reject him for all of eternity. And we'll be found guilty of the sins that we have committed. 
this judgment before this judgment seat of Christ, it is for those who have not believed in Jesus. Because John 3.18 says this, he who, believes him, he who believes him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. This is one judgment where did you, or are you pure? Are you pure is, is, is the first judgment. The second judgment, though, that, that's for the belief. That's kind of the, are you a believer or unbeliever? Have you given your life to Jesus or not? The second way that judgment can be taken is not a, as a criminal judgment, but more of a performance judgment. More of a performance judgment. For example, the word that is used in the Bible is called Bema, the Bema seat. It's the same word that they would use for the Olympics, that after a competition was over, the athletes would come and they would stand before the Bema seat of Christ. They would stand before a judge, and it wasn't, are you guilty? It had nothing to do with criminal acts. It was just, what, how'd you perform on the field? How'd you perform in the chance that you were given? And that's the, that is the judgment for those of us who are believers. That we're gonna stand before God because, and he's gonna say, sweet, I put you on the field. How'd you do? I prepared all these good works in advance for you to do. How'd they go? And the aim of the judgment seat is to give you an eternal reward for the momentary good works you did to echo for all of eternity. This is the grace of God. Those of us who are believers, they're not gonna, we're not gonna stand before a criminal court because our debt has been paid. That's done. Salvation, it is done. Ephesians 1, 1 through 9, done. Ephesians 2, 10, that's what we get to do now. Been paid by the blood of Jesus. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our guilt is taken care of. You're free. It's been paid. Hebrews 10, 11, 12, 17, and 18 says this, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Then he adds this, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. This is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But the Bible is abundantly clear that we will still stand before Jesus, not guilty or not, but how did you do with what I gave you? We will stand and give account for the new life that he gave us. He didn't just die and raise from the dead to forgive sins, but he also gave us a new life that we might live it. That we might live it. That we might live a life that declared, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. You've not just been saved from your sins, you've been saved into a new life and the opportunity to store up rewards in heaven for all of eternity. Matthew 6, Jesus says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says this in Matthew 10, and whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, truly I say, he shall not lose his reward, a cup of cold water, an eternal reward. Luke 6, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High God. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Hebrews eleven six. 6, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, there's another metaphor that a guy named Paul writes. And it's similar, similar to Matthew 13, what, God is, what Jesus is getting at with the thorns. I'm getting there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Paul is saying, I came to you, I preached the gospel, I told you about Jesus and you got saved. We laid a foundation. Now let each one take care how you build on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. The day, the time you stand before God will disclose what you built your life with. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In Matthew 13, Jesus is saying, I've given you a garden to have some growth. In 1 Corinthians 3, he's saying, I've given you a foundation to build on. Jesus is so motivated by this. I've given you a garden. I've given you a foundation. I need you to know that now's your chance. Because I don't want to just give you a garden. I want to give you a harvest. So I'm going to plant my seed into your life. Now make sure that nothing gets in the way. Because this harvest, like, I know, your your heart might be hard and it might hurt. You might have some pain in your life. You might be numb by the normal in your life. But let me get my hands dirty, tear up that soil, and get the seed into you. Because that seed is going to grow. And, and it might be hard in this life, like the sun might come up and things might get hard on account of this word, I know, I know. I know you're gonna grow up, you're gonna have kids and you're gonna get a job and there's gonna be worries and sleepless ridges, all these things are gonna try to distract you, but just stay focused. Just stay focused because I have given you an opportunity for a harvest. And yes, we may reap some of that harvest here, but 30, 60, 100 fold, sounds a lot like just eternity goes on and on and on. This is what God has planted in you. This is the life you are called for, a meaningful, eternally meaningful life. And Jesus is jealous for you to receive your reward. He cares so much about you understanding this concept of my life is short and gonna end. Eternity is long and never going to. But what I do in this life is gonna matter for eternity that he came out of eternity, stepped into our world, paid for our sin to give us another chance and told us a parable that said, I'm looking to grow this in your life and you're gonna have eternal harvest from it. Don't let stuff choke it out that doesn't matter. The worries of life You can speak it so focused on right now that it chokes out what matters then. The deceitfulness of riches, we get so distracted by shiny things now and it takes away from what's then. Jesus is saying, just guard in your heart, guys. Stay strong. Let me get my hands into your life. You're going to feel some things like worry. It's going to be hard, and I'm going to tell you, don't be anxious about anything because the peace of God is going to guard your heart and mind. In Christ Jesus, you're going to say, I don't feel the peace of God. He's going to say, I know you don't feel it, but trust me. 
because this light and momentary affliction is shaping for you an eternal weight of glory. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Let this kingdom come. Let this kingdom come. It's cool if we talk about applying the principles of the parable to have a better life, but it's not the point. The point is that you are a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you are offered salvation. Not so you can come to church on Sundays. <laughs> not so that you don't feel bad when you say a cuss word. But because you're going to spend eternity in eternity. And you've got a chance to not just make it, but to make it count. How do we guard it? How do we not get distracted? What, what do we do? I want an eternal harvest. Matthew 22, just a few pages after Matthew 13, there's a group of people, they come to Jesus with this exact question in verse 36. They come to him and they say, okay, Jesus, you've been preaching and saying the gospel of the kingdom, or the, the kingdom of God is at hand and you're claiming to be this king. So if you're the king of this kingdom, how does it work? What's it built on? What are the parameters here? How do we follow this kingdom? How, how do we do this, king? And they're being sarcastic, but he gives a great answer. The teacher say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? If, if you're the king of this kingdom, then what are the, how do we do this? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, or with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This all sounds so big and heavy. And it all sounds impossible, but Jesus in his mercy simplifies it so beautifully and says to you this morning, do you want to harvest for eternity? It's love. Love me, love me. Just pour out your heart. You want eternity, you want an eternal harvest? Love, just love people the same way you want to be loved. Later in 1 John, the Bible tells us that we can't even love until we receive the love of God. So you want, to, you want to harvest? Just let God love you. Let God love you. The parable of the sower is about God saying, I want to get my hands dirty in your heart and take off everything that's blocking you from receiving my love. There's pain in your life and it's blocking you from receiving my love. There's numbness in your life and it's blocking you from receiving my love. There's rocks in your soil. There's a fence in your heart. There's things that are keeping the love of God going deep in your heart. There's thorns choking out my love. And it's what you need is my love. This is how we live an eternal life, is we live a life of love. And I want to challenge us this morning, this whole series of me doing it, I had this question with God, saying, okay, God, how do we be good soil? And I think the question maybe goes farther than that, because what if the point isn't just to be good soil? What if it's to have a great harvest? God, what does it look like to have a great harvest in my life? What does it look like to have a great harvest in this church, in this city? What does it look like? It looks like a people who love and get rid of all the worries of life that make you too busy for God. They're stealing your affection for him. Some of you here, you're saying, I, I wanna love God, and it's your busyness that has stolen your affection for God. 
That's what it is. He is sowing his kingdom into your life, but you're too busy to let it grow. There's some of us in here named Andrew who say, I really want to love people better, but there's this lie that what it's going to cost isn't going to be worth it. What's it's going to cost to give that person five bucks? Well, I don't even know what they're going to do with it and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know if I want to really invest in all these other people because it's hard. And what about the time with my family and the deceitfulness of riches? And uh, I, I don't know if I should give because I need to get my next thing. And whatever's keeping you from giving is choking you. Not, not just money. That's not what I'm talking about. But God is after you having a harvest, not just for his sake, but for yours. So much so that he got on a cross, he came out of the grave, he filled you with this spirit, and he gave us a heads up and said, there's gonna be some things that are gonna try to choke it out, but don't let what's temporal choke out what's eternal. Because your life is bigger than what you see. It's bigger than what you have. It's bigger than the dreams that you have. It's bigger than the things you want to see happen. It's bigger than your next paycheck. It's bigger than all of these things. It's bigger than every worry in your life and every lie that you believe in. It's bigger. So I want us to stand this morning as we wrap up this series together. It's the love of God. And um, I think just to end, I want to, um, sometimes we do this around here, and this might be really new for you, and you don't have to do anything, but this is, we believe that we want to be people who respond to the word of God, not just hear it, because this parable is full of people who heard it and weren't, didn't do anything with it. And right now, you have an opportunity to just draw a line in the sand, and, and, and the, 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 the Bible word for it is repent. For Jesus, this is, this is the mercy of God. We, see, we hear the word repent and we think it's big and scary and mean and like how could a loving God want us to repent? Well, this is how. Because there's a, there's a lot of thorns in your life and Jesus just wants to say, don't worry about them, just turn from them. That's all. Just turn. Just turn and come to me. I got my hands dirty. I'm gonna rip those things out. Don't worry about it. Just let me love you. Just let me love you. Just let me love you. Just turn. Turn from all those things that are distracting you. Let me love you. And everything that God does in your life, it starts at repentance. It starts at repentance. Hearing his word, responding and turning towards his love. And I just wanna invite you to carry this seed of the kingdom. Carry the seed of this word this morning. That your life matters. And the grace of God has given you an incredible opportunity to love him with everything you've got in this life. And every choice that you make to love him is gonna echo for all of eternity. He's given you an opportunity to love people. And every opportunity that you take to, to love somebody is gonna echo for all of eternity. Just don't get distracted by the stuff that doesn't matter. And so if you are here this morning and you're saying, yeah, I, I know that there's some distractions in my life. <laughs> I just want to open up my heart to the seed of the kingdom. I want to invite you to come forward right now. We're going to sing one more song together. We're going to pray together and we're going to worship. If there's one of you in here, it's worth it because it's going to be a 30, 60, 100 fold harvest. And I want, you to, I want you to start moving right now. If you're saying, yeah, I want to live an eternal life. I don't want to wait for eternal life. I want it now. If you're not a father of Jesus, you can come forward now and make that decision right here. I want to live a life of harvest. I want to live a life of love. We're going to sing a song called Worthy of It All because He is. 
He's worthy of it all. And whether you're up here or not, you can do the same thing back in your seat. I want you to close your eyes as we bow our heads in prayer this morning. We're gonna invite Jesus to come into our lives and highlight our hard paths, our rocks and our thorns. And before I I pray, I just wanna love opening up this invitation. If you're here this morning, you're saying, I've never even given my life to Jesus. I've never received new life from God. And that's where I need to start. While everybody else has their eyes closed, I want you to raise your hand if you're here this morning saying, I want want Jesus. I need a new life. I wanna repent for my sins. For the rest of us, we're gonna pray that God will produce a mighty harvest out of this moment. Jesus, we love you. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are generous with us. I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for every heart. God, I thank you for this parable. I thank you for the reality of the kingdom this morning, that the sower is good and he is generous. I thank you, Lord, for every generous seed that you're sowing into the hearts of the people here this morning. I thank you that the seed is good, Lord. I thank you that the seed of your kingdom is ripe for harvest. Lord, I thank you for the promise of harvest in our lives. Lord, we pray that out of this moment, there will be a harvest for our city, for every workplace represented. Lord, would you help us see where the thorns are in our lives that are choking us? Would you help us see the rocks in our life that are stealing the depth of our soil? Would you teach us, Lord, to come to you with our moments of pain and hard-heartedness and let you work your hands and your mercy to loosen up the soil and receive the seed? God, I thank you for salvation this morning. That's an invitation into living a life that matters forever. Lord, we want to be an eternal people, a people that live for an eternal harvest. Would you teach us to love? Teach us to love God. Teach us to not get distracted by trying to be right all the time. That we don't love people. Teach us to not be so distracted by the things that are so temporal. And teach us to love. Teach us to love you, God, with everything we have. Teach us to love the people in our lives unashamed. You're worthy of our lives, God. Teach us. Teach us to love. Would you produce a harvest out of every seed that you plant in this moment? In Jesus' name.